Michael Smith. And I'm Chuck Osborne. And welcome to the Iron Capital Podcast. Where we break down investment stuff with anecdotes and stories that non-financial geeks can understand. Hey, this is Michael. This is Chuck. It's Wednesday, February 7th, 2024, and this is the ninth episode of the Iron Capital Podcast. Woohoo! So let's get to it, Chuck. What's on your mind? Uh, conflicted advice, Michael. Uh, there's conflicted advice all around us. And uh, specifically today, we're talking about there's a little bit of an internet spat that took place uh, between Dave Ramsey and a bunch of financial planners. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Dave Ramsey claimed that a retiree could easily withdraw 8% of their portfolio and never have to worry uh, about running out of money. Mm-hmm. And the industry has always said that the rule, and they claim that it's a rule, is 4%. Mm-hmm. So that's a big difference. Yeah, so that's something to, to, to get into. I guess the first question is, where did this, you know, the 4% rule is talked about everywhere. Where did this ubiquitous 4% withdrawal rule <laughs> come from? So it came from a study uh, back in the early 90s uh, from a gentleman who uh, was just beginning his financial planning career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he a uh, very intelligent um, man. He came from MIT and um, had uh, degrees, I think, in aeronautics. Aeronautics and astronautics. Yes. Okay. So (laughs) he was literally a rocket scientist. Um, And he uh, studied historical returns of uh, stocks and bonds. He built a a mythical portfolio of 50% stocks and 50% bonds and said, if that was your allocation through retirement, that the safest withdrawal rate was uh, 4%. Yeah. So, um, so that is where the four percent rule came from. came from. Well, let's talk about all the problems, <clears throat> both with that study and higher level problems as well. But, but let's start with just what what are the issues with with how we did that and came up with it. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, there are um, a multitude of issues. I guess the first one we'll talk about is just the idea that you should, you should be in a 50, 50 yeah. percent portfolio of stocks and fifty percent of bonds. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he also, um, you know, only used large cap stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, he later went back and revised his study and used a more diversified portfolio yep. and he actually raised the uh, what the number was uh, that was sustainable yep for some reason you never hear about that <laughs> yeah yeah over multiple times over over the decades that four percent went up to he his view of that four percent went up to multiple higher levels uh, it did it yeah. did he also used other bonds than just government treasuries right, right. He originally just used yeah treasuries. he read exactly he originally just used large cap stocks and U.S. Treasuries, and um, and didn't look at any other assets. He used a 50-50 portfolio that was just static, yep. um, which does not make a lot of sense, and is not what most people do um, in reality. It especially doesn't make sense in the world that we um, just came from, where we, for a decade, we had basically 2% interest rates yep. in the, on the longer term. Uh, and because in that world you're making nothing on half of your portfolio, yep. basically, and and you're 
there's actually an enormous amount of risk, which we finally saw in 2022. Yeah. When those uh, stock yields finally went up and those bond prices went down and people learned that bonds aren't as safe as they think they are. Yeah. And so, um, so that's really the first, I think, major flaw. Um, but I guess, you know, part of this is why does Wall Street love the 4%? Yeah, why really? is that 4% rule so great for yeah. Wall Street? And I think always right. we've got to follow incentives to understand why groups of people and industries and however you want to think about that behave a certain way. Why is that so great for Wall Street? Um, well, precisely, because as we've already mentioned, I mean, he um, and um, you help me, uh, the, the gentleman's name His is name Virgin. Is a, yeah, William yeah, Bangin. Bangin, that's right. Yeah. Mr. Bangin. Bangin. Uh, so Bangin himself came back and revised his study yeah. and said that, you know, the, the payout rate actually went up. I think he first revised it to like four and a half. And then it, it got to four, it, seven. It got to four, seven. Got even higher. Yeah. And so. And, and even later, other people did the work and found that just even adding more stocks was really helpful. Which again is not something that's talked about a lot, but it was just if you had simply right. did a higher level point, of stocks, you would have done better. Yeah. Point being <laughs> is that the um, Wall Street doesn't embrace any of these revisions. Yeah. Yep. They only embrace that original rule, and the reason is the four percent rule is extremely good for Wall Street. Yep. And so, uh, and part of to understand why is I think you have to look at what actually happens in real life. So uh, Dave Ramsey said that you could take 8%, which is probably a little bit aggressive, but he's actually much closer to what happens in real in, world in the real world yep. than what m most of these um, financial planners and others who argue for the 4% rule uh, are saying. Uh, what happens in the real world, the average, is actually 7%. Yeah. Most retirees take about 7%. Yeah, you look at participant data, and that's what you see. That's what people actually do. That is what the vast majority of retirees, actually, that's the average. Yeah. Um, some, a lot take less. Our own client base has a, probably a slightly smaller average than that. We probably around 5 or 6%. Mm -hmm. But you, uh, we certainly have people who are taking 7% or even more. Yeah. And you know that's, that's just the reality of retirement. Uh, but what happens is if you believe that 4% is the magic number and you can't take more than 4%, well, that greatly increases the amount of money that you have to save for retirement. Hugely so. And it's enormous. Yeah, like here's the, the math on that is it, let's say you needed $50,000 a year in retirement income. If you can pull 4%, that's $1.25 million. If you can pull 5%, that means you need a million that you've saved. If you can pull 6%, that means you need 833000 and on and on. So the lower that number goes that you can pull, the more money you have to give to Wall Street. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to, you know, for them to pull fees from. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, if you use the 4% rule, you, can, you will certainly be successful if you have the actual discipline. Yeah, if you and, can do that. And uh, to save that much money, the more money you save, the easier everything becomes. Sure. Uh, but there's no doubt that this is self-serving advice because Wall Street makes money based on how much money you give them. Yeah. And, um, and that is why they absolutely love the 4% rule because it's 3% less than reality. Yeah. <laughs> it makes people 
um, have to give more money uh, to Wall Street. And take it out slower. And take it out right? slower. So if you're only taking four percent right. a year, then there's more there to pull that fee from over time. Right. And so and that's exactly right. And that's uh, it's also the reason why they love to push annuities, even though no one uh, wants an annuity. As we've yeah. said, annuities are probably the one thing that you should never invest in. But Wall Street loves the concept of annuities because it locks your money in and you can only get out what you know, a very small amount every year. And um, and that's just locked in. Yeah. So uh, really what happens is they embraced, and this happens over and over again, really throughout our culture, but certainly in our industry, you, you see one study that actually um, is a real study. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it contains Bangin, real data. It contains real data. From it's, a smart we're guy. Not, we're not saying that anything was faked or yeah. anything. But... They gravitate to that study because its results actually benefit their business. And only, we only talked about half, right? We talked about it creating more revenues, but there's the liability side. You should discuss the liability side on the other side. It's higher revenues right. and lower liabilities for Wall Street firms. Right. So, uh, yeah, anyone who has been in this business for any length of time knows that uh, the people who are executives in the financial services business um, are motivated by two things. One is new business, bringing in assets. As we often say uh, that most of our competitors are in the asset gathering business, they're not actually in the asset management business. Uh, They want to gather assets. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing that they will talk about over and over and over again is covering their own butts. (laughs) And what is their liability? And how do they reduce their liability? Uh, this is why, and you've seen it, I mean, you don't just have to take our word for it. I mean, you can look it up. There's been all this controversy about the fiduciary rule where um, Congress, uh, since the Obama administration has been, uh, well, they, they passed the law that said that all financial advisors are supposed to be uh, fiduciaries. And the regulators continue to struggle on how they can actually do that. Um, and the you know, and for good reason. I mean, the, the at the end of the day, you can't do it because most advisors are still salespeople, yeah. and you can't be a salesperson and be a fiduciary. It, it's just you're trying to get a square pig into a round hole, yeah. and it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason the industry keeps pushing back on that is because they don't want the liability of being a fiduciary. All right, it's all about how do we maximize our assets and reduce our liability. And um, rightly or wrongly, um, there aren't a lot of cases of people uh, being uh, sued or pursued because they were overly conservative. That's right, yeah. Um, that That is not, uh, that just isn't what happens um, in the real world. Most of the time, if someone goes after a financial advisor, it's because they were too aggressive and they ended up losing a bunch of money and, and that's you know where that liability occurs. If you're really, really conservative, now in the long run, that may hurt a client just as badly. Or more. But um, if you are really, really conservative, you know, they feel like that's safe for their business. Yeah, well, and it takes away the requirement for competence 
for many in the asset management business because to get uh, your um, your retirement nest egg large enough to live off of, the only way you can do that in a very conservative, overly conservative portfolio is by putting more money in as opposed right. to getting competent returns. Yeah. So it takes the need for competence out uh, pretty significantly. And you see this in a lot of the different ways that people have managed accounts. Um, managed accounts, when you hire a Wall Street firm to manage your account in a lot of ways in retirement plans, are shockingly conservative. Right. And you know that's that makes your retirement balance much smaller at the end of the day right and and again it all it's all great for the business um, so you know um, a perfect example of that is the you know in your 401k plans where you have uh, um, institutions that are offering so-called managed accounts and the uh, and frankly, this was one of the things that actually spurred me to leave Invesco and and start Iron Capital in the first place, is um, when Invesco Retirement went down that uh, road to uh, to start that process. Um, and what happens is, um, you know, first of all, uh, the the primary provider out there for these management accounts is Morningstar. Uh, Morningstar never chooses which funds are actually included in the portfolio. Uh, they um, make either the plan sponsor or the advisor um, choose which funds are actually going to be included mm-hmm. in in the portfolio. So they're kind of abdicating their that responsibility. their primary responsibility mm-hmm. yeah. to begin with. Um, and then they set up an asset allocation, which they basically rebalance, um, you know, on, on a periodic basis. Yeah. And that's this is what they deem as as managing assets. Um, and I frankly, I think it's questionable whether that's actually managing whether that's or, even managing yeah. anything or not. But the um, they tend to be really, really um, conservative. conservative because the biggest issue that most of the people in the industry are concerned about is the liability. Yeah. Um, and they're like, we, we are managing these assets. We're going to be liable. Uh, we have to be conservative so that no one can come after us. Yeah. Uh, and that tends to also feed to the idea that then they will then tell the participant, well, you have to increase your yeah. contributions to the 401k plan. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is good for the 401k provider because now we're going to get more money in the 401k plan. And this is where you start getting people in the industry telling people, you know, you, I have seen people say that you have to save as much as 20, 25% of your income in order to actually be able to retire. And that is just absurd. Yeah. If it's just know, not doable, what, not no, practical, it's not sustainable at all. Yeah. And, um, and it's just not true. Yeah. If, if you manage the portfolio uh, appropriately. Which I think that's a lot of the where I think it makes sense to talk about what our view of what a fiduciary is and what we do right. um, to clients and what does that mean for us, which is very different than than that idea. Um, right, right. So um, the I would phrase that as kind of the difference between um, are you worried about um, your liability or are you worried about taking care of your responsibility? And uh, and we kind of view it more as a responsibility that we are to fulfill. And and um, our theory has always been, and knock on wood, for twenty some years it has worked th- uh, this way, uh, that 
if we do our responsibility, if we actually take care of doing the things that we're supposed to do, then we're not going to have any liability. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not going to get in trouble because we are actually um, doing what's right for for the clients. And so we have had multiple instances, I can think of two right off the top of my head, where we have actually gone to clients and clients have asked us to be more conservative than we thought they should be. They should be. Yeah. And we have said, no, we have a fiduciary responsibility to you and you, you will not reach your goals if you are this conservative. And... Uh, and I don't think there are a lot of firms um, th- that would do that. That will do that, yeah. Uh, the other thing is that we believe, quite frankly, that it's our responsibility to to try to actually add value in terms of actual investment results. Um, because th- at the end of the day, that is what matters. Uh, most of the people in our industry get more wrapped up in the planning process and the you know, and there's nothing wrong with planning. We've um, spoken about this before. Plan the the uh, things that you go through with planning. We prefer to use the term projections because that's all it really is. It's a projection. It's yep. not a plan. But the um, projecting out the future can be very beneficial. There's a lot of good things that can come from that. Uh, but ultimately, it's about executing. And if you do a plan and it says you have to get an 8% return, well, we have to get an 8% return for that to actually work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really where we feel like the fiduciary responsibility comes from. And, and a lot of that means that um, you know, we will push our clients. Um, I like to use kind of the analogy of like a personal trainer at a gym. Like, you know, there are a lot of people who can work out on their own but they probably don't work out quite as hard or push themselves quite as hard as they do if there's someone standing over them, you know, telling them what to do, telling them that they can do one more rep yeah. or what have you. Yeah. And to some degree, that is also, you know, our job. Our job is to, um, we can't overdo it, but we got to help educate our clients and, and, and get them to understand that, you know, we might need to be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, here. well, because if we can, if, if, if as a team, it's obviously their money, but if, if we can grow that um, through their lifetime to a large enough number, they may not have to take 8%. <laughs> right. They may, could take 5%, 4 if you were lucky, whatever, right. and, and be okay, right? And so part of it is, is, that, is that realization that it's, it's making those conversations early in the game and throughout the lifetime to where you actually can um, create the retirement you need without having to take too much risk when it matters. Right, right. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Um, but, um, and we probably do have a couple clients that take as little as 4%. We but, do a few. But uh, it's not very realistic, though. <laughs> but not many. And, um, and you, can, um, you can take. You can take more. You can certainly take more uh, than uh, 4%. We kind of use uh, 6% as our guideline. Um, that that is really what is a sustainable payout rate if you never want to touch principal. Yeah. Um, if you simply take 7%, you're probably only touching principal by 1% a year. That can, you know, that, it, that will last you for many, many years. Yeah. Um, 
but that also, you know, we look at it differently than, than they do. And this is another big theme that we talk about all the time is that uh, when someone asks the wrong question, they always will get the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. And this is the other major flaw in all of these studies is that uh, they are always looking simply at the total return. Yep. And they're looking at average total returns over time. Um, we believe that if you are in the income phase and you are actually taking income for your portfolio, you need to be investing in securities that actually produce income. And so to the extent possible, we want all of your income to be produced uh, by income producing securities. Um, and that comes through dividends or coupons from uh, bonds, uh, from bond payments. And the reason why that's so important is because um, as long as that those securities are carefully selected and prudently selected, and we know that they're financially sound, uh, then no matter what happens in the stock market any given year, that income will be produced. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't have to sell anything in order to actually um, have your income and um, enjoy your retirement. The when you're using um, total return, then you are you are counting on capital appreciation for a large segment of your retirement. Now, what? mathematicians um, and rocket scientists like Mr. Mangan will tell you is that that shouldn't matter to you. It shouldn't matter whether the return comes from a dividend or if it comes from um, capital appreciation uh, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's all, they're both part of total return and it's all just math. And that's absolutely true if you're in an MIT classroom. (laughs) Unfortunately, retirement doesn't happen in an MIT classroom. It happens out there in the real world. And in the real world, it absolutely matters because the capital appreciation doesn't happen every single year. And sometimes we get capital depreciation. (laughs) The market goes down. And um, if you then have to sell during those down periods. That's what causes the drag on the portfolio. That's why it's unsustainable. And that's why all of a sudden timing becomes such an important thing. And it really matters. And that's why mathematicians will tell you, well, you can't take more than 4% safely. Um, And, you know, and all of that's absurd. But it is largely because they're asking the wrong question. Yeah. And if they ask the wrong question, they're going to get the wrong answer. And the right question is, how much income can we safely produce in income-producing securities you know, at any given time based on where interest rates are and where dividend yields are, mm-hmm. et cetera, and so forth? And, um, and we have had success over time um, with a, a roughly a 6% kind of um, yield yep. on, on, on those portfolios. Um, and that's where you can safely take out 6% a year 
and you're not touching your principal because that's all income that was produced by the portfolio. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so really, I think that's uh, that's the bottom line. I think it is like so many things that we, uh, you know, this argument that has gone on um, over the internet. It's like so many things we argue about in our culture today. Um, it what it really boils down to is people are asking the wrong question. Yep. And and then they get all bent out of shape about what's the answer to the wrong question, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and and they're not asking the right question. Um, the other thing of that is that, um, and this is also so true in our society today, is that we gravitate to whatever it is we want to believe. Yeah. Uh, the four percent rule is very good for the industry, and so. Um, and there is a study that shows that that's a real thing. And so they embrace that study. They don't embrace any of the revisions of the study sure. <laughs> or any of the updates yeah. because those all raise the limit and therefore uh, doesn't give them the same benefit. Uh, but uh, but that's, that's the way it works. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place. That is. To stop. So... Um, We've enjoyed doing this one as always. Um, you know, let us know if there's something you'd like to hear about. Um, we love any any feedback, and um, we will see you in a month for the next episode. Woo-hoo. Iron Capital Advisors is an independent registered investment advisory firm headquartered in Atlanta with clients nationwide. Learn more about us at ironcapitaladvisors.com. The Iron Capital Podcast is produced by Iron Capital Advisors. Our awesome original theme music was written and performed by Michael Smith and Leah Calvert. This content is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or advice. Clients and employees of Iron Capital may maintain positions in the securities discussed. Please like and subscribe to the Iron Capital Podcast on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back with another.